0: Hey, it's Michelle here. I know you've got a lot going on. Kids, work, house, family, all the things. And maybe it's got you feeling not like yourself, but is it like I need a nap and a snack, kinda tired? Or are you experiencing burnout? A recent study found that 83% of moms are experiencing burnout. And so many of you have asked me to do more coaching around burnout So I am so excited to announce our brand new private podcast series, Heal Your Burnout. One thing I know about you is that you don't have time for another long PDF or a recorded masterclass that just sits in your inbox because you don't have an extra hour to sit down and watch it. So I created this five episode private podcast just for you. There are five short actionable episodes that you can access Anywhere when you're making dinner in the pickup line or working out. And by the end of this series, you'll have an understanding of what stage of burnout you're at. Spoiler, there are three stages of burnout. And I'll give you my proven six-step framework to healing burnout so that you can start shifting the energy of how you feel and recovering from your burnout today. I want to encourage you. While burnout is super common, it is not normal, you guys. You don't have to wake up every day feeling like this. You can heal, you can regulate your nervous system, you can unlock the stress cycle, you can restore your energy, and you can heal from burnout. Click the link in the show notes to check out the private podcast series, Heal Your Burnout, today. Welcome to the Calm Mom podcast, the show for ambitious women ready to get off the hot mess express. I know you've got a lot going on, You work so hard, you're raising an incredible family, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. I'm your host, Michelle Grosser. I'm a certified master life coach, attorney, wife, and mom. And years ago, I was right where you are. I was running a busy law practice while raising a family, and I was on the fast track to burnout. I thought I just needed to be more organized or have better routines but it was learning how to heal and regulate my nervous system that expanded my capacity to gracefully hold more of this big, beautiful life. You too are worthy of an extraordinary life in and beyond motherhood. Learning to be a calm, anchoring presence in your home and at work is going to be your superpower. If you're here to do the inner work that brings a sense of calm amidst the chaos, I'm here to join you on that journey. Each time you press play, your growth continues. So let's get at it. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Calm On Podcast. Michelle Grosser here, your master coach. I am really excited for you guys to listen to today's episode. My guest today is Colleen Kackman. She is a master recovery coach and she helps high-functioning perfectionists break their dependence on alcohol and other self-sabotaging habits. And I just feel like this conversation is so timely as we are in the throes of the holiday season and holiday parties. And um, I think it's time to take a good look at our relationship with alcohol. Um, like anything else, relationships can have pros and cons and ups and downs. And what we want to do is be conscious and aware, right? And I think that's, what's, that's what that's This conversation is really about, we talk with Colleen about strategies for emotional sobriety, which can be a reason why women and moms turn to wine culture or alcohol. And she helps women really learn how to step into their own power and feel safe with themselves and learn to trust their intuition, things we talk about and are passionate about here on the podcast. Um, So she talks about her own experience with alcoholism. She founded this company called Recover with Colleen after realizing that being quote-unquote sober wasn't a good goal for herself. So she now uses evidence-based strategies in neurophysiology and psychology that have been scientifically proven to help people change, not just with alcohol. So yes, yeah, she helps women bypass the stigma and the drama that society associates with sobriety by focusing on what's really important, which is our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our own bodies, our own um, emotions—all of the things, right? So she talks about emotional intelligence, positive psychology, and really just helps coach women like you and I um, strategize the next chapter of her of our lives. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about gray area drinking. We're going to talk about how it differs from alcoholism. We're going to talk about how drinking affects our nervous system, right? How does it fuel emotional disconnect? How does alcohol and maybe other unhealthy coping mechanisms contribute to burnout or keeping us stuck in a stress cycle and really learning um, other ways of coping and breaking these stress cycles? So I found this conversation to be super interesting. I think you will too. Enjoy. Colleen, welcome to the Calm Mom podcast. We are so grateful to have you with us today. Thank
1: you. I'm so excited to be here. It's been fun getting to know you. And like I said, I'm a super fan watching you on Instagram. Your reels in 90 seconds can change my day. And I just want to thank you for that. You inspire me.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I I um received that. And I had someone telling me something similar yesterday. And I was telling them, I'm like, man, it's so beautiful and powerful when we have these thoughts, but then we actually are intentional enough to share them with other people, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there are moments you do the same thing where it's like, oh, man, I'm like, is anyone even listening to this? Like, I'm so I'm tired today. Or I don't know if this is worth it. Or you get those valleys sometimes. And then you think back and you're like, yes, but I remember when Colleen was encouraging me <laughs> to keep going. So thank you.
1: And my best reels are the ones where I'm in the valley and working through my stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I post that those do so much better than the reels I spend, you know, half a day videoing and designing and coming up with all the pro- the steps one through five. It's really when I'm out for a walk going, ah, those reels do the best because they're vulnerable and mm-hmm. also also real. They're just yeah. real.
0: Yeah, they're relatable. And I think people appreciate. P- people appreciate that. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so you guys, I um introduced her about Colleen is a master recovery coach and I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I think there are a lot of myths out there about um alcohol and the ways in which we use it um that I think will kind of bust through today. So I think it's going to be, you know, really enlightening for a lot of us. Um but I kind of want to start there, I think you know culture tells us that a glass of wine is like one of the best ways to take the edge off a long day or it's gonna help us sleep or whatever else alcohol kind of I don't know I don't even know if it, like who's behind that, but just these things that we hear. Um, but I have an inkling that that's not entirely <laughs> accurate, so I would just love for you to speak to that maybe um share a little bit about your own journey and the work that you're doing and how you're helping women really, you know, come to realize that that's not the best response for whatever it is we're going through and and how you're coaching them through, through, um, alternatives. Okay. So
1: what I'm going to do because you asked is just give you the information that as a coach with a master's degree in nutrition, I had no idea mm. that alcohol was addictive, that alcohol is a depressant drug that depresses the central nervous system. I had no idea the biochemistry of how alcohol affects us. And just to give you the, you know, end of the story, I have now reintroduced alcohol. I'm totally fine to have a glass of wine here or there. So I don't need or want to demonize alcohol. But what I didn't know was why there's a good reason for less is more, Mm. why having drinks every single day. And I was a daily drinker because I thought that I was living the good life. I thought, you know, my my grandmother always said, eat on the good plates, you know, be your own best guest. Life is too short to deny yourself pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so I had the same cultural understanding of alcohol that we all grow up with. Alcohol is a treat. Alcohol is a reward Mm -hmm. for hard working people. Alcohol soothes your, it's medicinal. Mm -hmm. It helps you sleep. And the, the bottom line is that alcohol is a drug like anything else. And we are told in our culture to please drink responsibly. Well, as a drinker, I thought that meant downloading the Uber app and not driving drunk. Yeah, That was the end of my understanding, you know, and so my thought process, you know, got twisted over time. But how much can I drink without having a hangover, without doing something stupid? And I had no idea what it was actually doing to my body and brain. So I will just give you the two minute explanation of the biochemistry of alcohol. Because for me, when I first quit drinking, this information is what solidified the change in me. This just knowing better does allow you to do better. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't realize is that the reason alcohol feels so good is that it spikes your dopamine, among other things, endorphins. But let's just talk about dopamine. It is increases your dopamine like 10 times as much as normal everyday activities so you know eating loving on your kids going to the park reading a book having sex like those things start to pale in comparison and because it has that effect on dopamine you get a spike but what goes up must come down And so what happens, like think of dopamine as your dopamine levels in your brain as water in a bathtub and the waves that you might make if you're a kid making splashy or whatever, but the dopamine is the waves. So it spikes, but some of the water spills out of the bathtub. And when you're drinking on a regular basis, the water in your bathtub, the dopamine in your brain starts to go down. Your baseline levels are lower and lower and lower. And over time, that creates the urge to keep drinking. Now, you don't think of it as withdrawal. You don't think of it as, cra- you know, even alcohol cravings. You start to perceive that life is stressful and that you need relief from that stress. And your brain has learned, because it's a, it's a learning process, your brain has learned that alcohol relieves stress. What you don't realize is that alcohol relieves the stress that alcohol causes. So for me, I wouldn't have said, oh, I'm drinking because I want to get drunk. I'm drinking because not drinking feels bad. And that's the vicious cycle of what we can refer to as addiction. And addiction is not it it is a taboo word, but addiction is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And you can be anywhere on it. You can be emotional. You know, it. And and this binary, you are addicted or not. I spent so much time Googling, asking Google, am I an alcoholic? You know, and Google, you know, didn't really know. And even if the question was, no, you're fine, which often it was, that didn't change my life that actually worked against me. Mm -hmm. And so realizing that alcohol not only depletes your baseline levels of dopamine, but it also spikes your cortisol sky high. So as a daily drinker, I didn't even realize until after I quit drinking, I felt like my body had been an ice cube or something and I was melting. Like this sense of anxiety and tension and stress was a product of alcohol. If you're drinking regularly, your cortisol levels are sky high. It changes the biochemistry of your brain. And the other thing I didn't know was I thought alcohol helped me sleep. That's why I drank every night to go to bed. In fact, alcohol blocks REM sleep. So you are not getting that restorative emotional hygiene. You know, your subconscious does a lot of cleaning at night. And I wasn't getting any of that. And so ultimately, the day I decided to quit drinking, there was one reason I was exhausted. And even though I was sleeping or I thought I was sleeping over time, I had just depleted um, all of my reserves. And so my brain chemistry was off. My nervous system was dysregulated. And I, 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 my perception of life was just really, really stressful. So in, in that way, that is really important to know for daily drinkers. Does that make sense? Do you have any questions about that?
0: Yeah, that makes, first of all, that makes so much sense. I've never heard that bathtub analogy but, or metaphor, but that's so, such a beautiful or like a powerful way to think about it because, I mean, my kids are young and they take baths. <laughs> and like the water can, if I, if I walk out for five minutes, there's water all over the floor. And just that idea that those waves are coming through so that you are still getting, right, the up. But then yeah. when the down comes down, it's the baseline levels lower every single time because water is splashing out.
1: Yes. And you need more and more alcohol over time to hit the same peak. So that's how your tolerance develops wow. and it just becomes a vicious cycle. And where I teach women now, you know, my sobriety program, we are not we are not focused on sobriety as the goal. Sobriety is a form of self-care. And if you want to engage safely with drug, with the with the drug we call alcohol socially or for whatever reason, educating yourself on how it's a drug, proper dosaging, and giving yourself enough space between uses so that your brain chemistry can recalibrate, then you can engage safely. But you have to understand what it's doing in the brain and then of course tune in to your experience of it. I find that any more than one glass a week of one glass of wine a week is I because I, I feel that I have to recover from that. It's not bad. It's not awful. But I wouldn't pour alcohol on my on my nervous system two or three days in a row because I'm depleting the water in my bathtub. And it's going to get harder and harder to fix that.
0: Oh, that makes so much sense. So you, you mentioned that you've reintroduced alcohol. Um, and I'm just wondering what are some ways for people who have either like abstained altogether and are kind of wary of reintroducing it or women who actually want to take more control, especially maybe after listening today about, um, the frequency with which they drink, what are some ways that we can kind of own that again and reintroduce it or kind of wean ourselves, um, to a place where it feels not, I don't want to say more responsible, but actually just like healthier and better for, for ourselves serving us better.
1: Okay. So I, the shortcut to, um, correcting an alcohol dependency, addiction, whatever you want to call it, is a period of abstinence okay. because you're, you are in a dopamine deficit. And so correcting that biochemically, um, can take, it, it depends on where you're at. I've seen people take 30 days off and, and it's fine. I took three years off and I don't think I I reintroduced a day too soon, but it, it's not just biochemical. It's also, you have to work on your mindset and just like, so, so addiction is not um, a disease. It's a habit Mm. and giving yourself time to, to make sobriety a habit to learn how to engage socially without, you know, drinking to learn how to relax and, and reduce stress without drinking, to learn that you can cope with life in different ways and to really expand your tool set. That is, is really a part of if you want to reintegrate alcohol in your life, you can't do so with the belief that you are just going back, you know, mm-hmm. that resetting your tolerance, which is possible, but you're going to end up right back where you're at. And I'll tell you that the sober community, Where I went into because as a heavy drinker, I had no idea, you know, I thought you were an alcoholic or you want you weren't. And I was ready to say any words that I had to say to make this Mm. stop. And so I went into the AA community and that community is full of wonderful people, but it's also a little bit of a cult. As Mm -hmm. cults go, I highly recommend it. (laughs) Being a cult, there is great people, but it's a religion with a set of beliefs. And the biggest belief that is problematic, the number one predictor is not in terms of your ability to reintroduce alcohol again and to live normally with it, take it or leave it, is the belief that you can control yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you go into the sober community, the first thing you surrender is your power. You have to admit that you're powerless against alcohol. Hmm. And in fact, the science shows AA philosophy is not based on science. Our, the sober community is a philosophy and it is, it is not accurate in terms of how the body heals. We, we've learned how to drink and you can unlearn and you can relearn and you can, and you can heal. But the number one problem is the belief that you can't control yourself. You don't ever want to pour alcohol on that. So I don't care how healthy your brain chemistry and how much you've regulated your nervous system. If you still are questioning your ability to control yourself, to stop after one drink, then you would need to continue into looking at that. And so what the good news is, is if you take a break, 30 days. 6 months, 1 year. The longer the better because you don't need alcohol and the more you can reframe your habits and create a new way of being is is great. But the science shows that brain chem- brain scans of people who have overcome addiction return to normal within 6 months to a year. And not only that, the learning process that it takes to recover, to change your habit is will make you more able to regulate yourself in the future. The synaptic density of people who have overcome addiction is greater
0: than people who have never faced it. I've got a question for you. Do you sometimes feel like you're more sensitive than other people? Does the routine stress of life just feel overwhelming? Maybe sometimes you feel like you could just tap out or run and hide. Are you really creative? You got this great imagination. Or maybe you feel like you're disconnected from your body or like you're a misfit here on Earth. You might have thought that's just how you are. All these things are just part of your personality, but they're actually coping mechanisms that you've picked up over the course of your life and they're having a huge impact on how you show up, especially in this motherhood journey. Are you curious to know more? You've got to take my personality patterns quiz. Here's what's going on. When you were a child, Whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. Over time, those defenses became a habit, then they became a pattern. Now, as an adult, what we think of as our personality is often this defense pattern running the show. It's interesting, right? There are five personality patterns. They're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs, but rather they describe the safety strategies that you immediately go to when you start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who you are, but rather what is blocking who you are. The good news is that once you take my quiz and learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern and live and parent your kids as your true and authentic self. Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com quiz Now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. When it comes to alcohol for a lot of us, I think, and you were kind of alluding to this and I kind of want to go there a little bit, um, the way that it is a habit and has become a habit and can be a coping mechanism, um, and especially during the period of sobriety that you speak of, I would love for you to talk a little bit about some other coping mechanisms, and then they're better alternatives that you kind of help your clients to, you know, new habits, new ways of being that can kind of replace what it is they were depending on alcohol for.
1: Okay, so I start with the foundation that sobriety is not the goal. It is a form of self care. It Mm. is the medium through which you give yourself the space to change your relationship with yourself. And I call it emotional sobriety. I'm not the only one that uses that word. But I really like that in terms of it reflects what my realization was, you know, a year after I quit drinking, I still felt hungover. Physically, Mm -hmm. I was much, much better. But I was still dealing with mental health, I still had ADHD was worse than ever brain fog, I couldn't make simple decisions. I was in an emotional funk. I felt overwhelmed even though I wasn't even working. Mm -hmm. I was going through autopilot and I still had two different versions of myself. I was still performing the role of myself and then not really knowing how to be. Mm -hmm. So the way I coach women under the umbrella term, which you could say a lot of different things, but I use the word emotional sobriety. And that is where you shift your perspective of what's going on around you and what you think is happening into your actual experience. You get out of your head Mm. and you move to your body. And that starts with just being the skill. I think emotional sobriety is a skill. And basically, it's being able to separate fact, experience Mm. from fiction, your thoughts and your story. And And shifting your focus because you you learn wherever you've put your focus, right? Yeah. And so shifting your focus to the internal experiences and properly diagnosing the problem so that you're not projecting your emotions on the outside world, but you're actually saying my nervous system is dysregulated. Mm -hmm. My thought patterns are negative or self-defeating. And ask your, and realizing that what is you're experiencing is not being caused by anything going on out there, but it's your beliefs, your reactions, your habits. And so I, I teach how to integrate the mind and the body. And so the actual tools are the same ones that you teach, Mm -hmm. but the, Big, the, the entryway, the gateway is to realize there's a difference between your external experience and, or your internal experience and your external circumstances. And so I teach thought models, which is the mindset work of, of how to separate thought from circumstance and identify the feelings that end up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. I also teach, you know, and this is true with even trauma work. The key to healing trauma is a broader perspective to be able to pull out and look at the big picture and ask what's really going on, see Mm -hmm. where you've been and where you want to go instead of just reacting in the moment. Mm -hmm. And then also being your own best friend, like and being able to, to identify shame as an emotion and it's not the truth. But it's actually a reflection of trauma Mm. (laughs) and being able to instead of one of my favorite quotes I just read in Barbara King's Lovers, um, the name of the book is Demon Copperhead. And this is a a fictional character, right? It's not a self-help book. But he said recovery is switching from being the person who's sick to taking care of the person who is sick. to switching your focus or your seat of consciousness out of the daily details and all the drama and into and out of into an awareness that you're a person. And I have to say that that I used to think all the self-care tools like I got it, right? My hair's done. I'm exercising. My sheets are clean. I wrote in my gratitude journal. Like I get it. I'm practicing self care. I didn't make the switch on what self care is until I realized I'm taking care of my body, that my body is a human being and that I need to stop beating her up, stop putting unrealistic expectations on her, let her cry and, you know, process regret and treat my body like I'm babysitting a two-year-old, you know, who has car keys and wants vodka. Like (laughs) it's you have your body, if you switch your understanding of self-care to you taking care of the human body that you were issued at birth, your soul was like, Here's here's your body, Colleen, you know, born on 1973, you're gonna be five, six, and this is your circumstances. Like I have to take care of that person yes. and to almost de-identify with myself and yeah. just look at myself from the outside in. And then I can show myself love even when I don't feel it. Yeah. You know, just like I would my husband or my own child or a stranger in the grocery store, treating myself with the same politeness and kindness that I would. A stranger allows me to to live in that compassionate, um, yeah, it's just a place of love. Oh, that's so
0: beautiful! Like it's a, all of that's like a mic drop moment. So good, so good. And I think like what I'm kind of hearing as you're talking about this too, and like really broadening our understanding of self care, it's like true true self care. I love that idea of taking care of our body. Um, and I think for a lot of us, alcohol is, you know, at its core, a way or, or a, a mechanism with which we can dissociate. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that during those periods of sobriety, it's like reconnecting to so much of who we are, intuition, our emotions, things that, you know, we've probably been numbed out to for, for, for longer than we realize. Um, I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit too, like even just the emotional awareness that comes up and, as you're talking about compassion, like just allowing ourselves to feel things that maybe we were using alcohol to distract ourselves from.
1: So one of the things that anybody in any community, when you quit, will tell you is you have to feel it to heal it. Yeah. And that is half of the truth. You do have to feel it to heal it. But you also don't just sit in a pile of pity party, yes. funky, nasty stew. Good. And Good. so one of the the most important things that I, I, I don't have a term for it, I would say self di- self directed thinking, your brain is in the habit of thinking a certain way. Mm-hmm. And if you let it continue to think that way, you're going to continue to feel the same way. Right. And so Processing your emotions really does require guidance. Um, and that's what you do. That's what I do having a coach. But you know what? If, if money's a problem, a self help workbook, something that gets you to ask different questions. Yeah. You are the, your solutions are only as good as the questions you ask. Mm-hmm. And so in early sobriety, when you are not used to feeling the emotions, um, you you want to have hope on how to, what to do with all that because mm-hmm. it is really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest thing that I help, and I'm sure you do as well, is this big pile. I, I put an image on my screen and it's a pile of cords in your junk drawer and it's all tangled up. That's your brain when you're coming out of sub- alcohol or really any other all-consuming bad habit. And you have to pull those apart one mm-hmm. at a time. And so not trying to do all that at once and having guidance and a roadmap to untangle those cords and having tools so that you're not just like so overwhelmed because we believe our own thoughts, right? Yeah, yeah. And so having somebody else see you and hold space, whether it be a therapist, whether it be a coach, whether it be a self-help book, You know, I do believe in low cost, zero cost. You can get as much out of a self-help book as you can 10 years of therapy if you are actually doing the work. Reading, not enough. Sorry. You need pencil and paper to actually get the words out and to be able to reflect, you know, because your bullshit detectors are in your eyes and your ears. And until you get all of that out, articulate the feelings then it just feels familiar. And until you see it in writing or hear it come out your mouth or reflected to you, which is even better from another person, then you can't shift out of that perspective. And so, again, I don't have a lot of very specific tools. This is kind of the broad. I mean, I have a thousand specific tools, but this is the broad goal of any tool that you want to use is is to untangle those feelings and then to be able to resolve them by expanding the narrative, yeah. you know, so that you, that when you're no longer living the emotional pain, you remember it, but it's no longer active in the present moment.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that just takes a, a broader perspective. It takes different questions. I would say the number one tool that I give my clients is I give them a list of questions. What are you making this mean? What's the story you're telling yourself? What else could be true? Like those three questions right there can get you really far when you sit down and and stop letting your brain drive itself unattended. You know, you have to crawl into the driver's seat of your brain. Your brain is a powerful tool, but you have to drive it or it's driving you crazy. (laughs)
0: Oh, that's so good. It's so good. I agree 100% it's been my experience too. Um, I would love it if you told people about your programs and your offerings. I know there's probably a lot of women listening who are at least curious um, and rethinking and would love to be further resourced. So where can they find you and, and your teachings?
1: Well, I would start with my podcast. I am Recover with Colleen everywhere. So my podcast is Recover with Colleen and, you know, in the early episodes it talks about why I quit drinking in my journey, but many of my episodes are self-coaching skills. That's what I'm trying to give you. You know, you walk away with the three questions or, you know, techniques to fix your sleep or anchor your or recalibrate your dopamine, you know. So my podcast is a is a very good resource for anybody that is just curious. And then I have my website, uh, which is Recover with Colleen, and I have multiple programs all the way from Get Your Feet Wet with my free masterclass on emotional sobriety, and that is for anybody who is a drinker or who is quote sober. Mm -hmm. And realizing that this framework, this little box that they're identifying themselves as somebody who used to have a drinking problem, and therefore cannot make their own decisions when it comes to alcohol, and believe that they can't control themselves, and you have to go to meetings and work the steps like, Mm -hmm. if that's not working for you, then my master class will will specifically address the beliefs about not only alcohol, but about sobriety and recovery. And then I also have, of course, my 12-week program that that is basically accelerates your recovery. So in 12 weeks, you're recalibrating your dopamine, learning to regulate your nervous system, developing a growth mindset instead of the fixed mindset. And you know, that's weekly interactive calls and all of that. But I would start with the podcast. And then if you're interested, the free masterclass. And those links are on my website. They're in my show notes, all of that.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. Well, I just one, thank you for being with us today. And then second, just thank you for this work that you're doing, man. I'm sure so many people have been on a similar journey and just let it end with them. But the fact that you've taken it so much further and are helping to propel so many other um, people really to adopt habits that serve them so much better and be healthier for first for themselves, right? And then the people that they love and are in their life. Um, what a, what a powerful space you've taken up and a gap, I think, that you filled that was so needed. So thank you for the work that you're doing.
1: Thank you. I think if you ask yourself, do I want to be sober or do I want to be happy? Mm-hmm. And pursuing the goal of happiness and making your mind and body a safe place for you to be so that you like existing in, with yourself, that's the ultimate goal. And just taking a break from drinking and, you know, resetting your tolerance you know, there is so much more to life than how much alcohol you can drink. Yeah. Amen to that. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Michelle.
0: If you love mommy's polygraph, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, they really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review and trust me when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, your reviews are what keep me going. Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode of head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegrosser.com where you'll find free resources and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.